to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. All right, I want to bring a message that I believe is a word in season for us right now. It's a word that God has brought to me to encourage me. And so I figure that if it's encouraged me, then it's probably going to encourage you also. And I want to turn, the title of the message is called Christ in the Chaos. Christ in the Chaos. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. It's an interesting image you get in your mind when you read that, kind of picturing what it was like at the beginning. And one of the the images that's, I don't know, and there's so many cool movies that have come out over the years where you see like ships out at sea just getting blown and tossed on the wind and the waves in the darkness of night. I kind of get that picture of the, of the waters, uh, just, just the chaos the, of just nothingness and black and darkness. And it's kind of like a scary, scary kind of place to be. In fact, when I was 21 years old, I decided that I needed to get out of my small town on the east coast of Australia, a town called Ballina. Uh, most people know Byron Bay, it's kind of near there. I'd grown up there, I then went to university uh, nearby, I'd done a sports science degree. I didn't want to kind of go straight into that career just yet. And so at 21 years of age, I applied for a two-year work visa to England and so to the UK. And so like many young Australians back in those days, this is like 1998, I decided that I was going to go and do two years in, in, in the UK. And I actually really wanted to, I was a bit different to most of the backpackers, I kind of actually wanted to discover what God's will for my life was. It was a God-seeking kind of trip. And so I made my point to go to all the famous Christian landmarks. Like I went, one of the first places I went to was the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon was the pastor. And then I, I went to uh, where uh, Smith Wigglesworth was preaching up in the north of England. And I went to, uh, later on, I went to Toronto in Canada on the same trip, just where the Toronto blessing, who remembers that, that whole thing. And uh, then I went down to Pensacola and that was kind of on fire at the moment. There was a revival in, in Pensacola in America. And so I was kind of going just to, to experience God and to find out where I fit and what God wanted me to do with my life. Along the way, I was in Southern Ireland. And so my, my pattern was that I would just get a job because it's a working holiday, I'd get a job, save some money, and then I'd travel to the next place. And it was a great, great experience, a great adventure. I found myself in Southern Ireland, and I'd run out of money, and I needed a job badly. And I met an old fisherman who hardly spoke English. But it was actually, it was in a church service, and he was sitting at the back, and I was just talking to him, and, and he just said, oh, look, we're short of crew uh, tomorrow, if you want to come out on the boat. And it was a fishing trawler uh, trawling prawns. And we were in, a, in the city of Galway 
in the west coast of Ireland. Now, who's ever been to the west coast of Ireland or kind of knows what I'm talking about when I say the west coast of Ireland? The Cliffs of Moa, which are kind of the famous, it is so rugged. It is that the ocean, the next stop west is New York. And it's just this seas and the wind and it's like this picture of what we're getting here in Genesis 1. And sure enough, in the middle of the night on this fishing trawler, in the big swells and the pouring rain, it was like I felt like I was in some movie. And that five days that I was on that fishing trawler, the first three days I vomited nonstop, even when there was no more vomit, which was pretty quickly, just reached for like three days, just the seasickness. Our, our work shifts were work for four hours, sleep for two hours, work for four hours, sleep for two hours, around the clock for five days. Has anyone done that before? Like, have I, is there anyone who knows what I'm talking about? I know some of you have been shift workers, right? Give us, a, give us a wave if you've been a shift worker. You know what it's like that when your body is kind of like, you're meant to be asleep now, but you're awake, and vice versa. Anyway, this, this experience completely messed with my body. It messed with my mind. It messed with, and I got, once the five days was over, got back to shore and I got off that boat and I just walked off and the guy's like, don't you want to take some fish and some prawns? I'm like, nah, see ya, I'm, I'm out of here. Never, you'll never see me again. And it's interesting because we find something that's tied up in the Genesis chapter one of how men are meant to, meant to operate. You see, I believe, and my first point of my message, if you're writing down points, there's going to be three points. My first point is this, man was designed to live in an ordered world. Man was designed to live in an ordered world. And when, which means going to sleep at night, working during the day. It's like that's just what our bodies are built for. And when think the natural order of things, like and being out at sea, up and down and up and down. You know, and I get back to land and for the first few hours I was kind of like walking like a drunk man just from being on the boat for five days. It's, there's a natural order that we're meant to be living in, and when we get outside of that order, it actually can start to mess us up in, in various ways. Like if our bodies are not designed to drink copious amounts of alcohol, right? And you do that, then you... Oh, there we go. <laughs> that was the demonstration right there. You... There's a natural order that we've got been created to live in. Because here's the thing. When you look at creation, the six days of creation, man was created on day six. Day one began with chaos, formlessness, void. And God came in on day one and began to order things. He created day and night, separated light and darkness. And for the first three days, he creates form of the world land and sea, the sky and the earth. And you see that the first three days he creates form and then the next three days he fills it with birds and trees and fish. And, and then on day six, the final thing he brings into a creation, the final thing that he brought into a creation that was completely ordered and completely structured was man. Man was designed to live in an ordered world. Right now, the world that we're living in is not in order. There's so many, this pandemic has kind of thrown things up on its head. 
and the world is out of order. And that's why people are struggling. And, people, and it's, not, it's not good enough to kind of say, she'll be right, mate. Because things are out of order and it's normal that we get kind of a bit freaked out by it, a bit upset by it, a bit confused by it, a bit anxious by it, because we're human. But I want to tell you that as Christians, I believe that we can have a perspective on what is going on right now that we see throughout Scripture and even in this beginning of this creation story. Because we are with Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are joined with him. And I believe that he wants to pull us out of the actual picture that we're in and see things the way that he sees it. My first point was this. Man was designed to live in an ordered world. My second point is this. Much of our world is in chaos. It's not just the macro world that's in chaos. It's individual worlds that are in chaos. But here's the thing. Many people, their life has been in chaos their whole life. But it's the external chaos that has now completely opened a door, I believe, for the good news of Jesus. Because what we're going to see, what we're going to see is an opportunity. I believe that God is going to use what's happening on planet Earth right now to once again step into the world on an unprecedented scale and actually bring some order and some structure and some hope and some beauty like never before. Because it's actually in this place of chaos that God does his best work. And that's my third point. God does his best work in times of chaos. Right there in Genesis chapter 1, it was formless and void and dark. And then God steps into it and he says, let there be light and straight away. There's a difference. And then he moves through the six days and you just see what he did with what he started with. And this is what he does with people's lives. Some of us here, so you think, come on, can I, is there anybody who's saying, you should have seen what God started with when he saved me, right? And he brings transformation, doesn't he? And he brings hope and he brings life and he brings beauty and he brings all these things just like he did into creation on that very first day. And so Jesus wants to actually come and bring hope and transformation into the chaos. And I think that this is what evangelism is. This has given me a new way of looking at evangelism. I used to think, oh, I'm a Christian, I need to share the gospel. But I'm an introvert, so it's kind of a bit awkward. <laughs> and I don't know what to say and I don't know how to say it. And, I'm... and I think a lot of people are like that. But I'm a Christian, so I need to do it. And I bash myself up when I'm not doing it. And oh, I missed an opportunity then. Or I'm not a natural evangelist. You watch some people, how they do it. It's just like, oh my gosh. But you know what? I really believe that the plan of God is to bring life and hope and beauty out of chaos in people's lives. And imagine if we looked at evangelism like that. As that we, our, our neighbours, our family members who don't know the Lord, our, our friends, our workplace colleagues, students that we sit next to. It's like, and there is chaos and there is brokenness in their lives. And anybody who doesn't know Jesus, there is a brokenness in their heart. And there's something, there's a void in their heart that he wants to fill. Just like he did in Genesis chapter 1. The earth was formless and void. There's something missing. And so Jesus, the plan is actually to get Jesus into their hearts 
to actually heal the brokenness and to bring the life. And this is the message. And I want to show you how it worked in the life of Jesus. Because just as he acted in Genesis 1, when God brought this whole world out, you see Jesus operating like this when he's walking upon the earth. And you see Jesus, everywhere he goes, he's walking into people's brokenness and people's chaos. And he sees a blind man and he heals him so the guy can see. He sees a dead person and he calls them out to life. He sees brokenness and sickness and all these effects of sin and chaos on the world and he comes and he untangles it. One of my favourite stories is found in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. And I want to read you Mark chapter 5 just a moment. Just, I'll tell you what happened in Mark chapter 4 first. See, one of the things that you always see about Jesus is that he often just goes up a mountain to pray and spends the night in prayer. And you think, wow, Jesus, like if there was anyone who didn't need to pray because they're God, that was you. And yet Jesus is praying more than anybody. There's a pro tip right there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If Jesus prayed more than everyone, maybe we, it could actually help us too, just to pray a little bit more. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering above the chaos. The, the open ocean, the waters, the, the wind and the waves is symbolic in the Bible of chaos. And back in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was where? Hovering above it. it was not down caught in it, was hovering above it. And I believe that when Jesus is going up a mountain to pray, he's like getting above He's getting above the circumstances. He's getting above the the day-to-day. He's getting above the pushing and the pulling. He's getting above the debates and the arguments and the, are you pro this or you're anti this or you're for this or you're... All of that. And Jesus just goes up. He says, I'm living above this because I've actually got some hope to bring into this and I've got to get above it if I can ever speak into it. And so Jesus goes up the mountain and he prays. And then he starts going out and he's healing all these people so all of a sudden there's a crowd following him and he's like guys get in the boat we've got to get away from all these people and so they hop in a boat and they cross the sea of galilee but halfway across the sea of galilee it says a windstorm swept down upon the lake and so the wind blows and the waves come up and all of a sudden you've got this chaos picture happening right there on the on galilee lake jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, the disciples are freaking out. The boat starts taking on water, starts going down. Once a boat starts taking on water, it goes down pretty quickly. And so the disciples are waking up Jesus and he's like, first thing he does, he says, you of little faith. It's like, oh, actually, no, the boat's sinking. <laughs> like We're drowning. What do you mean? What's this got to do with faith? They don't understand. And then Jesus just lifts up his voice. And he speaks and he commanded the wind and the waves to be still. Jesus spoke into the chaos, just like he did in Genesis chapter 1. Into the chaos, he said, let there be light. And there was light. He speaks into the chaos of the storm and says, be still. And it was still. We need to understand how powerful the word of God is. 
The word of God is the most powerful force in this universe. Always has been, always will be. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. His word is the same yesterday, today and forever. His power is the same yesterday, today and forever. What I love about Jesus in in the book of Revelation, John has these pictures of, of Jesus. You know, he sees him like all dressed in white and his hair's like wool and his eyes are a blazing fire. And then it talks about a sword that's coming out of his mouth which is the word of God. And I, I look at that picture and I think, you know, and you've, who's ever seen those kind of Spiro paintings that people do of the revelation Jesus? Have you ever seen one of those? And they've always got him holding the sword in his hand. But that's not what it says. It says the sword's coming out of his mouth. And I, when I was a kid, we'd go to youth group, whatever, and our youth pastor would say, everyone, pick up your sword. It'd be your Bible, right? Who's been there, done that? Saints, pick up your sword. It's only a sword when it's coming out of your mouth. It is only a sword when it's coming out of your mouth. It's not a sword when you're holding it. I've got to be careful here. It's not even a sword when you're reading it. It's not even a sword when you're thinking it. It's out of his mouth comes the sword. It's when you speak the word of God. It's when God says, let there be light, that there was light. It's when Jesus com- says to the wind and the waves, be still, that's when it's still. It was, he, didn't th- he could have just thought it and made it happen. He's God. He could have set the universe up that way, but he didn't. He set it up so that it's when he speaks it that the power happens. And guess what? We're made in his image. And it's when we speak the word of God That's where the power is. I want to encourage you people, begin to speak the word of God into your circumstances. Speak the word of God. Sometimes we pray the wrong way. It's like, God, if it's your will, it would be great if this could happen. And he's like, man, get the sword out. Speak it. Make it happen. Declare it. Speak in faith. So Jesus, that's right, I'm setting up Mark 4, going into Mark 5. I was like, where did I just come back to? So Jesus calms the storm in the disciples. And then he calms the storm on the water. Because he spoke to them before he spoke to the wind and the waves. You have little faith. You know, maybe he also added in, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Watch this. So he calms the storm in the people, then he calms the storm in the world. Whatever the storm is that's going on in your heart, in your mind right now, would you let the word of God come, calm you, bring peace to your heart and to your mind? So then Mark chapter 5. Now, this is, you've got to be careful sometimes with the Bible because chapters kind of ruin the flow of things. So he comes from that halfway across. It's still, I get to the other side straight away. It's the same story. It's the same scene, if you like. Verse 1, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit 
came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a tragic scene that Jesus walks into. And I don't believe it was an accident that Jesus walked straight into this scene straight after he'd walked out of the other one. I don't think it was an accident that Jesus calms the storm on the lake and then comes and meets a man who is symbolic of so many problems that humans have. So let's look at this guy. I mean, you can read the story and it goes on a lot longer. But this guy had a lot of problems in his life and he's, I believe he's a representation in one man of how bad things can get for us as people. Okay, firstly, obviously he's spiritually lost. Secondly, he's got mental illness. Thirdly, he's physically sick, covered in sores. Relationally broken, all alone. No friends, no, who knows where his family is. And the backstory here could be tragic. Like, maybe he did have a family. Maybe he did have a wife and kids, but something happened. Lost his business, lost... And then the spiral began. Lost his marriage, lost... And then he ends up in this place. He's unemployed. He's unemployable. He's totally lost. And he's suicidal. He's trying to kill himself. Cutting himself. He can't die. And they can't restrain him. It says no one could subdue him. They tried chaining him up, but he'd break the chains. How lost, how tragic, how terrible this situation for this man. And this man comes out to meet Jesus. And it's a beautiful story that, that happens. Many of you know how it ends. That Nearby there's a herd of pigs. And Jesus speaks to the demons that have filled his life, the evil spirits, and says, come out of him and go into those pigs. The pigs get possessed by the evil spirits and they just charge off a cliff into the sea and are drowned. Can you imagine what it would have been like in this guy's head? That a whole herd of pigs was able to run off a, a cliff and just end it all. The torment that was in this guy's head. But the amazing thing is what happens next. It says that the story went off into town. People who saw it were like, oh my gosh. People were so upset who owned the pigs that their livelihood, their business model is now broken. And they, they drove Jesus out of the town. They said, you've got to get out of here. You're causing too much problems for us. And just before Jesus leaves, a guy comes down and sits at his feet, dressed, washed, in his right mind. And people are like, is that the, that's the guy. They didn't recognise him. 
It was the guy that Jesus had just spoken the word of God to, brought complete transformation. He'd spoken into the chaos and the brokenness and the lostness of someone you would look at and think there is no hope for this person. And if Jesus can do it for him, what can he do for everybody else? And so this guy sits there and he begs, Jesus, can I follow you? I just want to go with you. Wherever you're going, I'm coming too. Jesus being such a nice, loving person says, no, you can't come with me. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell everybody. Tell everybody what God has done for you and the compassion that he's had for you. Every chance this guy's the first ordained preacher of the gospel. What a transformation. What a story. This is what Jesus wants to do for every single person. Do you know anybody who struggles with any of those things? Do you know anybody who's got mental illness? Do you know anybody who's suicidal? Do you know anybody who's maybe lost a a marriage or a business or people who are physically sick, people who've got all these problems that come and try and bring chaos and try and, the devil will try and take hold of that and just drive us down, down, down into that spiral. Evangelism is bringing Jesus into those situations. And even people who look like they've got it all together, on the outside, there's a void in their heart. They know it. Evangelism is bringing Jesus into that void so he can fill them and that they can become everything that he's created them to be. Here's the thing. God does his best work in times of chaos. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.